to Ethics in the Naval Warrior. I'm your host, Michael Sears. My guest today is the Chief Diversity Officer of the United States Naval Academy. Welcome, Captain Tamika Lindsay. Captain, you've got a very tough job, especially in this day and time. Can you tell us the parts of your job? Well, first of all, Mr. Sears, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I know we've been talking about this uh, pretty much all summer, and I'm glad that I was able to finally pin down the time here. So I will explain myself everywhere from the strategic level as a member of the senior leadership team, all the way down to the tactical level where I am sitting and interfacing with midshipmen, faculty, and staff on a one-on-one basis. It is a uh, it is a taxing yet a rewarding job, and I would not trade a day in for anything. So my job, my office has three different pillars. The first pillar, diversity and inclusion. The second pillar is equal opportunity, our military side. And our third pillar is equal employment opportunity, or EEO, for our civilians. And uh, we all work together. We came together in 2016 as an alignment, and we have recently changed our name to the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. So, Captain, that means that you're responsible for diversity as a leader at this academy, right? Uh, No, no, not at all. Uh, In fact, I dream a world when there is no longer a billet required for a chief diversity officer. Listen, diversity and inclusion is everyone's responsibility. Uh, This should be part of every leader's uh, toolkit in how we think and move forward, we will be leading one of the most diverse industries in the United States, and that is our U.S. military. Our military is over 25% African-American, over 18% Hispanic, and I'm talking about our enlisted numbers here. There's about 50% Caucasian or white American in this group. So we have to be able to talk to them and lead them effectively in our battles in our everyday operations, in our lethality that our leaders are expecting us to perform. So so you think a more lethal force is a diverse force. What do you mean by that? So I believe that a lethal force is a diverse force because when you bring in the different perspectives of people, Uh, their experiences from home, their experiences in their education, their experiences in their military background, they will be able to come in with insights that maybe others haven't seen. I should be able to sit at the table and say, hey, I'm familiar with that, or I've had background experience in that, or I see things this way because of my experience, and let me give you some background. You have more risk of groupthink when you have a very homogenous group. So when I talk about homogenous, I mean talking about the same demographics of people, uh, all male, all female, all black, all white, same ethnicity or, or background culture, same leadership, same tours or types of tours. That creates a sense of groupthink, meaning that they have been trained and their style of thinking is in the same way. That can be pretty dangerous because you continue to come to the same conclusions, which isn't necessarily the right conclusion. So you bring up these current climates and culture. We could be talking about the Western Pacific. We can talk about uh, Eastern Europe. We can talk about a lot of places where we might need to go. 
to ply our trade, so to speak. But you also talk about the current situation. Let's talk about here at home. And let me throw this out. You know, a lot of the folks talk about all lives matter. What does that mean? Uh, I think it should mean everything that we've been writing since 1776 in the Declaration of Independence. When we say we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Okay, but that's a document That's a document that was written that actually talks about all lives matter, right? Yes. But there were some exceptions. Yes, there is, unfortunately. And perhaps the culture needs to stand up to that. I've, I've got over the last couple of months, I've had many of my classmates and friends call me up and say, hey, tell me about what's going on here. How do I encourage friends of mine at large to have a broader conversation with themselves, to understand what's going on? A lot of them don't seem to want to recognize their contribution, good, bad, or indifferent. Yeah, sometimes it takes for them to look back and think about a reflection on how they got to where they are. And then to think about some of their counterparts who were minority, Black, Hispanic, Asian, um, even female who were working side by side, you know, with them. And while I'm sure that everybody wants to say that they're most qualified or equally qualified, you know, how, how were they picked? And, and were they really doing their job? Or was the other person working 10 times harder and not being recognized for what they do? You know, I, I get the same questions. I have classmates calling me. Um, I, I have company talks with, with my group. And when I was a plebe, my company officer, as he was walking out the door, took every one of his minority midshipmen, with the exception of one, and moved us all to the bottom of each class. Youngsters, plebes, second and first class. We were all at the bottom with the exception of one. So there was no way that we can say, say that there was racism. He walked out the door. And it was to the point where it was obvious that the new company officer pulled us in at the beginning of the next year at Brigade Reform and apologized to us and told us that there was nothing that she could do but for us to just work hard and move forward. So our grades were never changed. But it was a hit to us because we knew that we were all not equally performing the same. And it was just very obvious that the people of color were at the bottom. So that brings out two points. Number one is my classmates did not even know that that was going on. 25 plus years later, they had no idea that that happened to all of us. And that when they started thinking about it, they're like, oh my gosh, you're right. I do vaguely remember that conversation. Number two is the pain in knowing that that officer uh, with his biased thoughts continued with his career. And it makes you think, wow, did he destroy anyone's career? their livelihood because of his biased thoughts in seeing all people of color that way? Then, then what is our responsibility as naval officers, naval leaders, both graduates, alumni, and midshipmen? What's our responsibility in this moment when we see the culture moving the way it is, but we don't know if we're part of that or not? So everyone is a part of this. We cannot move on without having everyone uh, moving forward. Now, granted, I don't have the magic solution to change everyone's hearts and minds overnight. Um, there are things that have built up in a person that has caused a lot of hate. H however, that hatred is not welcome in our military. That overt uh, racism 
uh, xenophobia, uh, sexual bias is not welcome. We just cannot be a cohesive team when those heartfelt, and when I mean destructive thought, mind processes take precedence over the way we should execute. So in music, in movies, in books, we've got a culture in this country that struggles, but includes all of the wonderful things that so many of us are able to bring to bear uh, from our backgrounds. And we accept that sometimes with struggles, but we can see the beauty of that tapestry as it comes together. It's important for us to do that as naval officers, right? Uh, that's, that's absolutely right. But without dismissing a culture or a background in order to do that. I love music. I love different types of music. I, I'm always curious as I don't have that artistic mind to be able to put that together, the different beats, the, the, the messages or things like that. So, Captain, I've got an issue when I hear the words, all lives matter. It's my issue. And my issue is it just makes me feel like I'm being negated. Now, I understand that other people might feel the same way when they hear other terms, that they're being negated, but I don't think all lives matter. That term survives on its own. No one's ever walked up to me for no other reason to just say all lives matter. Because I think in this time of reflection and since the, the George Floyd murder happened, when we say all, Blacks continue to miss the mark in that all um, vote. And then you have to wonder... Who were we talking about when we defined the word all? Because the, 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 the black murders and the black injustices, the black social uh, separations, health, equity separations that we have experienced since through and past slavery to date has not had an equitable standpoint. So we as black people do not feel like that we've been part of that all. So we have to stand up and say, hey, Black Lives Matter. And when people say, yes, I told you all lives matter, they go, no, 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 you're missing the point. Look at your history, look at the history that we are facing, that we are making every day, and ask yourself, has this been fair and equitable across our landscape, across our country, to say that all lives were mattered in this specific case? And the answer has been no. So for now, we're going to have to uh, just kind of pivot or just plan ourselves, if you will, on the Black Lives Matter until we can get that to an equitable standpoint. So we're at a very interesting point in our history and on our culture. And we've been here before, but this feels different. So just in listening to you, I actually do feel good in saying Black Lives Matter. If you are curious about anything to where it says that there has been equity or equality and fairness across the demographics, I hope you'll look it up and find out who has benefited or who has been marginalized, and you will see the largest number has been the Black Lives. Captain, thank you very much for this conversation. This is a conversation we definitely need to make sure we keep on having. It is definitely needed. It's not just a George Floyd murder issue, and I find it very troubling that this man 
We had to watch him die for eight minutes and 46 seconds on national TV for us to awaken to this moment. His death should not be in vain. The deaths of Emmett Till, the deaths of Trayvon Martin, Tamir Rice, and on and on and on should not be in vain. We have to continue to move forward. We have to be equity focused. We have to look at our brothers and sisters in arms and say, brother or sister, I have your back. Always. You've been listening to Ethics in the Naval Warrior, produced by the Boeing Leadership Innovation Lab at the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership. You can find more of our podcasts by visiting the Radio Stockdale page at usna.edu.